Welcome to Screen Thoughts with Hollister and O'Toole. Hey everyone, it's Hollister and O'Toole, and this week's podcast, we're going to include our take on the Star Wars movie, our Lit Lovers Partnership podcast, combining the movie Martian with the book. Book the Martian was um, one of the strongest book club choices over these past few months. It's definitely a space-themed week, Hollister, isn't it? (laughs) I know, you know what? Isn't that funny? I didn't even think of that. You're so smart. (laughs) So then we're going to revisit Jessica Jones a little bit because O'Toole has had some time to watch it this week. But before we get started, I just, I have to take a moment, O'Toole, and thank you for your lovely, thoughtful, and expensive Christmas gift to me. Oh, I think I know Okay, just so you know, no, 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 you need to be quiet now while I tell our friends out in podcast land that I, the last time I saw O'Toole, which was a little week ago, I nicely wrapped gifts, sent her off on her merry way south for the holidays. And then I get an email midweek from her, and it's a JPEG of a copy of of the screenplay for Steve Jobs, and it's signed by my idol Aaron Sorkin, which we all, anybody who listens to our podcast know that he is certainly my mentor idol guy. I thought it was the perfect gift, and he signed it 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 not just with his name. Would it have been the perfect gift? And here's what her message said. Can you pretend that I sent you this for Christmas? Oh, now, you know, I just want to say that she always looks like the nice one on our podcast. She always sounds like she's so smart and thoughtful. And I'm the irreverent one who gets everything wrong and everything else. And, you know, what can I say? Thank you so much for your lovely gift. It's one of those gifts the Dalai Lama would have really appreciated. You know, I can't, you know, I know, I know. Okay. So anyway, Netflix just uploaded season two of Broadchurch. And thanks to, um, to one of our listeners, Belle, uh, for sending it in to us. Cause we, you know, if you haven't listened to our podcast on season one, Broadchurch is certainly something that we think is fabulous. Yes. Thank you, Val. Um, Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you, Val. But she also wrote, it was really cute. She said, so I was a little leery when I first started watching it a while ago when it aired on BBC, but I was pleasantly surprised at how much I enjoyed it. Of course, I still had to keep the closed captions on because I could barely understand what the hell David Tennant was saying in his thick accent. That <laughs> finally, is so funny. like my <laughs> and know, still, finally. as we discussed before, the original version with his real accent still did better in the U.S. than the U.S. version of it, where they made him speak with an American accent in Grace Point, and that got canceled. So he's still better right. closed captioned. You know, I had trouble with his accent at first, but then you get used to it. I heard Charlotte Rampling is in the second season of Broadchurch, and I love her. I don't, I don't know. Uh, yeah, we have to watch it. We'll definitely have to. But it's it's up. It's on Netflix now, season two, and they have committed for a season three. So there will be a season three, FYI. Fantastic. Okay, so I went on our Twitter account, and I saw this a ton of tweets around a post that, that you put up, O'Toole, around sensitive skin TV. And I'm thinking, this is is this an ad? And somebody put an ad and they scammed into our thing. And then I'm noticing that Kim Cattrall is retweeting what you're saying. What are you talking about? (laughs) And why is this getting so much buzz in our Twitter account? Last week, you made me promise that I would watch Jessica Jones, which was a show that our listener Lori Rudder had mentioned to us as well. So I went into Netflix to watch Jessica Jones. And you know how up top Netflix recommends other shows for you. 
And of course, you know, they're very familiar with my good taste and they recommended the show Sensitive Skin. And I did not know Kim Cattrall was in a new TV series. I have not heard one thing about this show. Is she in the show? She is the star of the show and it is a remake of a British show, I believe by the same name. And apparently this was part of her deal with HBO when she did Sex in the City is that they would let her make this show Sensitive Skin. So it's a Canadian TV show and it's a very different character from Samantha Jones. So I only saw the pilot, but I put in my tweet, that how does Kim Cattrall pull off heartbreaking and radiant at the same time? And one viewer immediately tweeted back. He said, because she's Kim Cattrall, that's how. Do you recommend that we all watch it out there? Well, I would be very curious what you think of the pilot. Okay. Um, it's only about 24 minutes. It's, it's just short. But she is riveting. Okay. And then we want to send out a huge thank you to Alex and some of our fans in Australia. We have mentioned that we often podcast from the Beacon Hotel in New York when we're in New York. And they sent us some, they sent me, actually, physical reality. Okay, just showing me up that Alex sent you a real gift that you could touch and devour. Exactly. No, I didn't, I didn't touch it. I ate it all in one sitting. You didn't save uh, any for me? No, absolutely not. Oh, there you go. There's the Christmas spirit. Tim Tams, from your comments about um, Posey Graham Evans and the fact that she gave, when you were in Tasmania, she gave you some Tim Tams. And um, can I say Tim Tams are delicious? I do highly recommend them. And thank you, thank you, thank you for See, there's one more difference between us. you and Posey. Posey shared the Tim Tams. Oh, uh, well, I'm not a share bear, so there you go. <laughs> okay, now, by the way, if you want to email us, do so at screenthoughts at gmail.com. We love to hear from you. We really do. Um, all right, now let's start off with Jessica Jones. Did you watch it? I did. I promised I would, and I did. Okay. And it's very interesting. It stars, of course, Kristen Ritter. And I had just seen her in the movie Big Eyes, playing Amy Adams' best friend. Did you ever see that Tim Burton movie? I did, and I thought I thought she was very good in that. And I think she's a good actor. I just I just don't get the excitement around now, the series. Now, I have to confess, I never did see Breaking Bad, even when I was at the film festival in Albuquerque, where it is completely produced, and Albuquerque is rightly so proud of the production value on that show. But I bet I know where you first saw Kristen Ritter perform. I uh, can't imagine where. She was on Gilmore Girls. Oh, but who, who did she play? Do you remember her? I think her character's name was Lucy, and I believe she always walked around campus with that other friend. And oh, I don't remember Do you remember her? her? Oh. She was a great, quirky character. She was one of Rory's classmates. Oh, okay. Yes, I do remember, remember her, Remember with the dark actually. hair yep. and the big eyes, yep. and yep. And she was much younger then, so... Yeah. As we all were. Yeah. As we all were. Okay. So what did you think of it? Okay. Let's get down to it. What, what did you think of, of the show? What do you think of the plot? Did, I mean, do, I think they're trying to do too much and it's too dark. Well, I thought it was a great opening. So I loved the comic book art graphics, which were very fitting since it's based on a superhero, right? Who's turned PI. And I thought the voiceover at the very beginning totally sucked me in where she said, New York might be the city that never sleeps. It sure is the city that sleeps around. A big part of the job is looking for the worst in people. Turns out I excel at that. I immediately thought, I know her character. I know the setting. Okay, I'm in. And then... That's true. Uh, Yeah, it could be. You know, and part of me thought it was a little bit like somebody who had worshipped Kalinda's character on The Good Wife decided to just give her her own show. And then I realized that Mike Coulter is in Jessica Jones, who played Lamond Bishop, 
in the good wife, uh-huh. adding to the good wife feel. Um, so it's kind of like Kalinda meets Rear Window. But not as well. Uh, Kalinda, by the way, it, they're not even the same class. I mean, Kalinda's, far, Kalinda's nuance as a character it far outweighs, far outweighs hers. But this also shows the difficulty that the good wife had when Kalinda's character was so uber popular with their viewing audience that they tried to give her a bigger role. And that's when the plot, I believe it was season two, started to go off the rails. And they had to scale back her plot points. Okay, so do you think, uh, so uh, so Jessica Jones, we're talking about Jessica. But see, this do is you, the same what, problem, is that I couldn't tell if it was intriguing or it was just trying yeah. to play intriguing on TV. The star. Come on, Jessica. I am the star. Don't play the hero with me. I am the star. So wait. You know what? I went back after I sort of trashed it last week. I went back and watched it again, knowing you were going to take a look. And here's what I figured out. I think they're trying to do too much. Noir, 70s kind of lighting and backdrop. And then we've got, you know, the the superpower woman and then the crime scenes and the and everything, everything with no lighting. So I can't see, you know, I feel like I need new glasses to watch it. <laughs> so I, I feel like maybe they just try. It was just too large. You know, they just tried to attempt to do too much. Do you know, is that possible, do you think? I feel like it was disjointed and there were too many cases yeah, in the pilot. Um, but I did find it intriguing again when she was in Luke's apartment and she opened up his medicine cabinet and saw that photo. I thought that was intriguing. But otherwise, I, I can't say that it completely held my interest. And it's getting, it really is getting rave reviews. And in, it's funny because I was looking at Time Magazine's TV series of the year and a lot of people are putting in their top five and I, you know, I'm not, I'm not feeling it just so you know. Okay. So I'm glad you didn't, I'm not totally off. No, um, I don't think I will be back, but I think the premise is very intriguing. Yeah, maybe that's it. You know, it does. Once again, we are glad that women are being given these major roles because that's the kind of role that could have been given to a guy. And Carrie Ann Moss stars in it as well, of course, from The Matrix and Chocola. Uh And not that I saw him in the pilot, but David Tennant from Broadchurch is also in Jessica Jones. Oh, okay. I didn't realize that. Mm -hmm. I probably couldn't recognize him in the dark. (laughs) You'll recognize him when he starts to talk. Okay, there you go. Okay, so moving on to... There has been an awakening. Have you felt it? May the Force be with you, Star Wars. The Force awakens as if it's been sleeping for the last 35 years. Uh, It opened, uh, by the way, opening day was $125 million. And I will say that I saw a lot of images uh, of opening day of the lobby of movie theaters. And the one thing that I loved seeing was it looked like all of America at all different age groups had congregated waiting hours in line to go in and see this movie. And they were enjoying each other all with the common denominator interest of the force. On Friday, the wall street journal published a really interesting spread on star Wars. And in one of the articles, they called it our persistent national bedtime story. And I thought that was a great way to sum up the phenomenon of star Wars dating back to 1977. Well, you know, there's been you know, a lot of interviews and I went and saw it at nine o'clock in the morning and I, there were maybe 10 people in the theater. So I don't think I had the same thing, but I, 
I loved it. And I know you're not going to see it. And I know I'm so excited. We've got your nephew, right? We're going to, who was interviewed. Yes. I seed all discussion of the seventh Star Wars installment to my nephew who went and saw it for his ninth birthday. Great. So we're going to hear from him a bit later, but um, I, I listened to an interview with Abrams, who is obviously the one of the writers and the director of the film. And he said, it's a brand new story with brand new characters set in a familiar world. And I don't think that's true. I think it's the exact same storyline as Star Wars, the first original 19, was it 1977? That's I think, right. Yep. 1977. Yeah. In 1977, I think it's the, the same storyline. And those characters are back playing sort of sub characters 35 years later, 35 years older. I love that part about it. And Leah, you look great. Fabulous, honey. You look fabulous. I'm so glad you came back. Well, speaking um, of old characters, my nephew, he was so sweet because he wanted to make sure that when he podcast about the movie, he did not include any plot spoilers. So <laughs> I told him to just leave that to you and me. You know, he did not well, have to concern go. himself yeah. with that. No, Carrie Fisher was back and she looked great. And it was nice to see her with Harrison Ford. And that was fabulous. But I loved it. I loved the use. This Star Wars uses humor, which the first Star Wars had a little sarcastic humor. But this is laugh out loud funny. I'll just give you one. So somebody's caught by the bad guys by the by the by the dark side, and he looks up at the at the captor and he says, "Okay, who speaks first, you or me?" <laughs> but he does it in this clever, <laughs> funny, on an unbelievably relieving way. And it and then also I felt like you know what I I didn't get this the first time I saw it because I was much younger and not nowhere near as wise, but. <laughs> I feel like maybe the reason we all love Star Wars so much is it really isn't as much a storyline about good and evil facing each other. It's the good and evil in each one of us facing each other. Like we can all be on either side. We could be on the dark side or we could be on the on the side of, of light. We could be on either side of that energy force. Hollister, that is a very Aquarius thing to say. Is it? Yes, That's it what is. I'm an Aquarian, so yes, there you, you go. Are. But, uh-huh. Yeah, now, now I asked O'Toole, why aren't you going to see it and give the exact answer you gave then because I want to counter it now. <laughs> I think, Do you remember your answer? I think you're setting me up here to be whacked out, but I'll go no, with no, it. No, no, no. I'm I'll not. I'm setting it. you up to want to go I see it. I did so, see... The first Star Wars, which I guess is kind of the fourth Star Wars, but the first in terms of release date. And I do love Carrie Fisher. I've loved her novels. I've loved her one-woman show, Wishful Drinking. So I'm very glad to hear that this newest installment has some humor because she is just so funny. She's very good, yeah. But when I asked why you weren't going to see it, what, what did you say? Do you remember? Well, I remember seeing the first one. Which, it is shocking to me to think that the entire franchise has won eight Oscars, seven of which were given to the very first Star Wars back in 1977. But I remember seeing that when I was very, very young. And the story did not grip me at all because I felt like Princess Leia didn't get to do anything. Okay, and that's why you're going to love this Star Wars because this Star Wars, what an amazing female character we have in Daisy Ridley as Rey. She is mesmerizing. She is better than The Hunger Games. She is better than Katniss. And, And basically she is the Han Solo of yesteryear. I don't ever think I've seen a strong female character that that young girls are going to be able to look at and go, oh, wow, I want to be that girl and smart. And she's funny, 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 funny. 
and she's, you know, she's just great. You've got to go just to see her so that you can say, oh, 35 years later, they get it. Both male and female characters get to be the winning character, not the one, you know, Leah was in the background. She definitely was. So, so the reason you need to go see it is for that reason. Okay. In Carrie Fisher's show, Wishful Drinking, which I saw her perform at the old Studio 54 in New York. Uh Uh Um, Of course, she comes out and she has very different recollections from Studio 54, which today is a theater. But she said when um, George Lucas first came out with Star Wars back in the 70s, he said to her blithely, you know, um, when you put on that white gown, you're not going to have any lingerie underneath it. And she looked at him and she said, what? Like, why not? He said, because there's no lingerie in space. Oh, of course there is. Of space. I'm pretty sure there's no pretzel hairdos in space either. <laughs> but now don't forget, George Lucas, he was the man who made me into a little doll. A little doll that my first husband could stick pins into <laughs> when he was annoyed with me. Then I was a shampoo where you could twist off my head. (laughs) Oh, wait, do you know the, um, you know those Mr. Potato Head things, right? Well, they actually, they made a Star Wars Mr. Potato Head line, so you might recognize me as Princess Tater. (laughs) But the main thing, the main, main thing that I've been made into which has just, it's enhanced my life just enormously. I'm a Pez dispenser. (laughs) No, I am. I am. Seriously. No. And if someone offers to make you into a Pez dispenser, do it! But um, she actually made a man in the audience. He came up on stage. He was such a good sport about it. And, you know, unbeknownst to him, her Princess Leia wig was lowered from the rafters onto his head just to prove that no one can look good with that hairdo. Um, so I'm very glad to hear that, that you say we've come well, a long way. Well, here's ways. the thing. Here's the thing I thought you'd also enjoy hearing. Okay, one of the producers is Kathleen Kennedy, who's usually a silent producer. She's got great credits to her. And to so her, many um, credits. I know. I, really, I mean, a, an amazing producer, but she's not a big talker. And I and she was talking um, with uh, Christy. Okay, so let me tell you what Christy says. She says, we see women in a different range of roles in this film. And the reason I love my character so much, Christy plays Phasma, obviously, is she's cool, she looks cool, she's a villain, but more than that, we see a female character and respond to her not because of the way she looks, we respond to her because of her actions. And that's exactly, exactly true um, with Daisy Ridley as well. And then uh, they they said, they asked uh, Kennedy, how did the refocus on realistic female characters in Star Wars occur? And perhaps it was simply Kennedy's not so outlandish idea of putting women in the writing and development room. Long before there was Ray or Phasma or even um, Lupita, uh, as mysterious thousand-year-old space pirate, Mats Kanata, whose character is, by the way, entirely computer-generated, but fabulous, months were spent in the story conference room creating characters and ideas. And here's what Kennedy said. I have a story department up at Lucasfilm, and four out of the six people who make up that story department are women. 
Kennedy says. So there were as many women sitting in the room having these discussions as there were men. And I think that in and of itself is what really began to help Ray take shape in a way that she was relevant to all of us and hopefully relevant to other women seeing the film. I think having all those voices in the room, along with mine, was extremely important. That's and I'm Gina telling Davis's you, O'Toole, mm-hmm. you gotta go see it. You gotta go see it. You gotta go see it. Well, I heard there were three interesting cameos. One was Simon Pegg, who I just saw in the romantic comedy Man Up. Yep. One at the very beginning was, of course, the venerable Max von Sydow, who we talked about last week, who was in The Letters and 15 right. Ingmar Bergman films. And then I heard if, you know, what you just said weren't reason enough to go see it, my guy, Daniel Craig, had a cameo. He did. (laughs) Now, by the way, but the other reason is, you know how I'm always joking about O'Toole can't possibly leave before the credits have run all the way to the end, Uh long after every other person has left the theater and already arrived home. The credits are really when The Force Awakens. Well, they are, and it's so funny because the credits have hidden hidden notations. And I'm not going to tell you, I don't want to ruin it, but do stay for the credits, and I never say that. (laughs) J.J. Abrams gave a great interview, and he he said... um, He said that he felt that George Lucas had great respect for his audience and dropped one of the things that the original Star Wars did is it dropped the audience into the middle of something and he didn't explain everything. So he didn't say what had happened in the world. He didn't give all the background. He felt that people were smart enough and his audience was smart enough that they could figure out what happened and that he wanted to do the same thing. So we don't really know what's happened in the last 30, well, our time, 35 years. And there are a lot of things that we just get to figure out ourselves what happened. Like, why did Leah and Han Solo break up? And, you know, there's a lot of, of untold stories. And you it just sort of leads you to this moment in time. So he doesn't give this full backdrop. And I, I sort of like that. And you can really see it. And it does... And it doesn't bother you, but you do sort of wonder, well, I wonder where that, why did they leave each other and what's going on? Mm-hmm. And, you know, so Abrams was asked who would win in a fight, Han Solo or Captain Kirk? Before I tell you what he said, what do you say? Han Solo. He said Han Solo would win because he would shoot first. Interesting. This is another piece of trivia, care of the Wall Street Journal. Who has killed more people, Luke Skywalker or Darth Vader? Skywalker? That's right. Well, the only reason I answered Skywalker was because it was obvious that you would think it was Darth Vader, so you must have been the exact opposite. 21,000 is the number of Canadians who claim Jedi as their religion. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, well, there's an interesting fun fact for this, yeah. Another point to drive home how much things have changed since 1977 Guess what the average U.S. movie ticket price was in 1977? Uh, Was it $5? $2.23. Oh, okay. I don't remember what I paid, but okay. And this goes to show how much the movie landscape has changed. When it first opened in 1977, guess how many screens first showed it on its opening day? How many Uh, many movie theaters? I have no idea. No idea. 32. Doesn't that seem so dinky? I mean, this year it was over 3,900. It does rank as number two on the all-time list of box office gross receipts as the most popular movie. And who was number one? I've got to ask, who was number one? Gone with the Wind. Well, there you go. Exactly. (laughs) Okay, now also we're going to hear from your nephew. Can't wait to hear what, what he had to say. 
today we want to welcome a very special guest, Connor. Hello. <laughs> All right. So Connor, today was very big for two reasons. One is it's your birthday and tell our listeners, how old are you today? I'm nine. How's Finally. It how's it feel so far? Good. Okay. And what'd you do for your birthday? I went to the Star Wars movie. And did you bring your friends with you? I brought all my classmates. Wow. Okay. You're nicer than anybody I ever went to school with. And my friend Hollister, guess what she sent you for your birthday? What? Five questions. <laughs> uh... Tell Hollister she could have spent a little bit more on the gift. Okay, but talk is cheap, and that's what we do here at Screen Thoughts. So I'm going to ask you the five questions, okay? Who's your favorite character? My favorite character is Luke when he's young and R2-D2, BB-8, and C-3PO. If you could have anybody be your best friend from Star Wars, who would it be? R2-D2. All right, why? Because he beeps a lot and gives people information. Good information? Really good information. In the new movie, he's like nearly out of battery. Oh no, how's he going to recharge himself? Well, they put like all these wires connected to him to make him recharge. Do you think there's a lesson in Star Wars? Yeah. <laughs> I'm so glad not you said to yes. go to the dark side. Oh, not to think bad that much, and don't give in to your anger. Don't give in to your anger. I love that. You are a very wise nine-year-old. Thank you. Did you learn any other lessons? Mm, always listen to your dad. That's a good one. That's a very good one. And yeah, mom. <laughs> very good one. Very good one. What if your dad's Darth Vader? Then your dad has to listen to you. That is a great lesson. Okay, and I heard that your mom got you a Darth Vader birthday cake. Yeah, she did. And what sound did the cake make? It made this sound. I think that is the most awesome thing I have possibly ever seen. They thought that it was a burning ceremony for Darth Vader. <laughs> okay, so Hollister wants to know, did you know they're taking applications at NASA? No. Yep. And um, for people to go to Mars. Yeah, I knew that part. It's okay. only one way. It's only one way? <laughs> so then what happens? They just, um, how, how do they get back home? They don't. Oh, dear. Well, then They this... have to build houses there and make a known settlement. Well, this might answer the next question. Would you apply? No. <laughs> no way. I'm not leaving my home. And also, then you would be stuck there, and what happens if you run out of water? That is a very good question. And you know what? That leads us beautifully to our next segment in the podcast, because have you seen the movie The Martian? No. Okay, it's about a guy that gets stranded on Mars. Is there any water? That's the biggest problem. There's no water on Mars. Well, there is ice, and he could melt it if he set fire. But and, that would destroy some of Mars. And do you know what? I bet you know the recipe for water. H2O. Yeah, so he's got to find the H's and the O's, and he's got to, <sighs> I don't know, do whatever you do to make water. <clears throat> well, I think I'm going to go have some more of your cake. And I'm yeah. going to listen to you play the piano and the kazoo at the same time. <laughs> Hashtag fabulous. <laughs> okay, every month we are so grateful to be part 
of Lit Lovers. Now, Lit Lovers is the foremost book review club online, litlovers.com. And we have a partnership with them where once a month we come in and we review a book and a movie. And we try to do one that is very popular in the book club review section. And this month, even though the movie's not playing in that many places, it's coming very soon uh, to pay-per-view and on-demand. And this month, the book is The Martian. By Andy Weir. Right. Now, you why don't you lead off here, O'Toole? What, what did you think of the book first? And then we'll get into the combination of the movie. When I first started reading the book, and right. you are reading the journals of this astronaut who has been abandoned on Mars. His crew thought he was dead, rightfully so, and had to take off in a dust storm. And this man is alone on Mars trying to stay alive. So you hear his journal that he's keeping And as I was reading it, I started thinking, this is a little bit like the diary of Bridget Jones for engineers. Oh, that's so clever. I like that. Yeah. I thought the number of things you need to know to stay alive on Mars, the fact that you can't uncap a Sharpie and write something outdoors on Mars because the temperature combined with the toxicity of the Sharpie, you'll die of the fumes and you can't put your drill against a metal table because you could short the entire space station. When I thought about the level of knowledge you need, I thought, you know what, I would have just taken the cyanide pill. I would have taken the cyanide (laughs) pill (laughs) and called it a day. But um, interestingly, it reminded me, the book, a lot of the last Lit Lover selection we did, Room. Because as I was reading the book Room by Emma Donahue, of course, you feel the abandonment and the despair of the mother and son being held captive in that shed. And Uh just the same, I felt his abandonment on Mars. And just when I was beginning to get tired of it, they released me from that isolation and the plot opened up and we're back with the NASA command center. Perfect timing. Yeah. One of the things that I find interesting about it, and then we can get into the movie portion too. So I thought to myself, I'm so sad that after we landed and walked on the moon, we didn't do anything in the last 40 years since. I wish we had continued and I wish we'd gone on to Mars. And secondly, well, we did land, I, we did land the Land Rover on Mars. Well, there's no person in it. It's not the same thing. But here's the thing, it's not even the point. The point is that there was there was something great about the American excitement about sending a guy to Mars, you know, a person to Mars, and that was exciting. But the other thing that I loved about it is we're in such tumultuous times now. And to see everybody come together to try to sit, you know, I thought that part was fat. I, I love the excitement of everybody banding together to get, you know, which we all do. You don't have to be American. Human beings love saving things. And you know? I loved that that's how the book ended, yeah. where yeah. they just spelled out the fundamental yep. human need to help each yep. other out. Exactly. And you could feel it. And I loved it. And I've missed it. And we're not seeing that a lot in books. So maybe... I felt like maybe that was the theme that made it be such a good book book group book. Do you think that was it? I found it very, very interesting just in terms of what you need to know to be able to survive. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. And I think the book also capitalized on what is really some people's greatest fear. When you ask that question, some people will say waking up on the planet alone. And that is the premise of this book. Oh, God, I'd love every minute of it. <laughs> I... You know, as somebody who spends a lot of her time with other people, 
oh God, the thought, you know, sometimes I thought a oh, prison sentence wouldn't be so bad. I'd have a lot of alone time and I'm sure that's not even true, but, but my, yeah, but, I could just you know, see you start in the Martian and you'd be like, no, no, no need. I'm good. I'm good. See you in four years. I remember hearing the story once about a man who had two sons and he said it was so interesting watching them play with his movie projector. And one of the little boys would sit there and watch movies all day. And he was mesmerized by the image on the screen. Uh Whereas the other son went into the room and he was captivated by taking the projector apart. (laughs) And he loved having every little screw on the table and then trying to reassemble it. And I thought it's that son that you would want in that space station trying to solve all these problems of how to get back. It's so funny that you're saying that because... The reason I felt like he was okay in the book and the, and reading the book helps to sort of show that, but, but it's very well portrayed in the movie is his mind is so busy with all of his to-do lists to make sure that he's going to be there in two years, mm-hmm. four years or what, you know, four years, I think it was, but I was thinking they could rush it and get there in two, but, um, he is so busy in his mind. There's a lot of time to get lonely. You know, he's, having those conversations with himself about succeeding. So and I, I thought that was, yeah, I, I totally agree. I think having that goal in and of itself is a survival skill. Uh, exactly. 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 And I couldn't help but think I have to go back and rewatch guess which movie. Um, gravity. I would, I would never go back and watch gravity. And in fact, I wish I hadn't seen it the first time. Next. <laughs> go ahead. Solaris. No, come on. This is so obvious. Apollo 13. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Uh, come on. You should have had that right away. That just has yes. the magic of duct tape. Exactly. Now tell me. All right, now we're going to move a little bit into the movie. Tell me, do you really think that this movie is a comedy? Oh, are you alluding to the Golden Globe nominations? Yes. I, well, I'm alluding to the entire hubbub about it. I mean, I don't. I, did you think it was funny? I'm not sure I would categorize the entire movie as a comedy, but that brings up a point that I definitely wanted to make. Do you remember when we were reviewing Sicario and I said that movie would have been heightened even more if there had been a little levity, especially knowing how comedic Emily Blunt can be? I thought the book and the movie did a fantastic job of making Mark Watley's character have such a good sense of humor. Because in these completely dire circumstances, you would hear him make a joke. Total gallows humor. But that really worked for me. You know, it's so funny because I'm so glad you brought up Sicario <laughs> so I can slip in what I forgot to say when you said that then. Is there what, and I did say there was humor, but the, you know, when, when her partner says to her, don't you want to take a shower? before you, and she goes, what, I'm, I'm, you know, that's humor. There was humor in that, in Sicario. I just want to say that, but yeah. There could have been more, and I think it would have been even better, because I thought Ridley Scott did a fantastic job, as did Andy Weir in the book, of just sprinkling in that humor so you could ride a roller coaster of emotions, of, oh, mentally he's okay, oh no, dire circumstances again. It gave us Totally true, totally true. But that's exactly what Star Wars did, too. The humor in Star Wars is the exact same humor, but it doesn't make Star Wars a comedy. And this is not a comedy. I'm just, I just want to go on record as saying that. We don't have to belabor it. So do you think that the movie is worth seeing if you loved the book? 
if you loved the book and you're drawn to that kind of story and that genre, I think the movie is absolutely worth it. Uh-huh. I think Ridley Scott, and again, this is my same reaction to Room. When I read Room, I thought, how are they going to make this visually interesting Two people trapped in a room? Ridley Scott achieved the same thing when he made Matt Damon's journal a visual video diary. This will come as quite a shock to my crewmates and to NASA and to the entire world. But I'm still alive. Surprise. And included things like interval recording to speed up the passage of time and the motion that our eye sees. He encapsulated that visually so well. Interesting. Yeah, yeah. I thought Matt Damon is very good in it, by the way. I do. I think, you know... And I think Matt Damon is a great actor. I think he's a thoughtful, intelligent actor. Mm-hmm. And I think he was able to carry it very, very, he didn't overplay it. He didn't over-dramatize it, but he didn't under-dramatize it either. He and was perfectly cast. He was. And when, really the Martian, well cast. when the Martian started out, I thought, oh, this is just like Born Identity. Matt Damon is alone, floating. He needs to pull bullets out of his torso and drop them in a metal pan and then staple himself together. <laughs> <laughs> I know, he was, really he was true, very right? well cast. Right, right, right. Um, now, you told me that The Martian was Obama's favorite movie of 2015. I did, yes. And I, well, I, that- I mean, it's not like he told me that privately. I read. <laughs> yes, when, when Barack and I were chatting <laughs> while we were brushing each other's hair exactly. to quote The Devil Wears Prada. Even before he agreed uh, yeah, to just let met, you live no. alone on Mars. Um, I did I read thought- that that was his favorite movie. Well, it's so interesting that you say that because I've read that of the presidential movie library, the most requested movie by seated U.S. presidents is High Noon. And they said that's so interesting that you have this character played by Gary Cooper, where they said being president must be a very lonely job. And it's interesting that Obama picked The Martian, where Matt Damon is left alone on Mars. Yeah, I can understand why that worked for him. But here's the thing. I kept thinking about book club, right? Now, I've been in a number of book clubs in my life. I did think that this would be a great co-ed book club uh, choice, because I think it must have cost, let's say, a trillion dollars to go get him. Is an, an American white life worth a trillion dollars? <sighs> I think it is, by the way. But I mean, I just think there's so many cool things you could bring up for discussion around this book. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when is does is there ever a moment to to acknowledge defeat? You know, because by the way, you know, we know that certain personality traits make a person behave one way versus another. Mm-hmm. And clearly, uh, many people would have approached the moment when he was real, when he realized he was left behind, it would be at least four years and he only had 30 or what is it? 90 days left or something in the pod. Um, I, I forget the numbers exactly, but there were some people who would have just said, okay, I'm going to make amazing tapes. and I'm going to say goodbye to people properly. They would never have believed that they should try to survive it. And one kind of character or personality trait says you should. And another one would say, I'm not going to even try. And, and it did I, a great job of portraying that, because he, he was trying exactly. to survive, exactly. he became the foremost expert on life on Mars. And exactly. the book and the, the movie did a great job of saying he's the first I to know. grow a plant yep. on Mars, so he's technically colonized the planet. He did. He or did. the fact that he he's really, really a space pirate because he's in and out of international jurisdiction. No matter what happens, tell the world, tell my family. I never stop fighting to make it home. 
I think it would be fun to go around the book club group and determine what your approach would have been. Would you be the one who said, I'm just going to make sure I leave something behind here for my family so they can see how much I cared about them? Or I mean, I don't, how would you have approached it if you really believed that it was going to take four more years to get back and there's no way you had the provisions to survive? And yet that mentality that makes one an astronaut, which is yeah, not an easy job to pursue, I'm hoping <laughs> that their yeah. love of exploration would trump all else because, you know, it is- yeah, I who am afraid of a thir- 737, you know, <laughs> you know, a nonstop from here to LA is a trauma for me. I can imagine that I'm not the personality that would be sitting up there going, well, I need to survive. And how will I do it? I would be going, I shouldn't have come. And why did you make me? Well, you know, it's funny, Hollister, because one of my friends is married to a rocket scientist at NASA, and he was one of the team that helped get the Land Rover on Mars. So Uh I went to visit them once, and he sent me directions on how to get there so we could all meet up. And I opened up the attachment in my email, and this map was a thing of beauty. I swear (laughs) it was 3D and highlighted (laughs) and arrows. And so my friend said, well, you do realize he has to explain to people how to get to Mars. And I was like, okay, if he can get to Mars, I should be able to find Virginia. Yeah, take a left turn at the moon and then make a right and then, you know, whatever. Exactly. But, you know, I thought the book and the movie did a really good job, too, of underscoring the risk of rescue in any situation. Last year, I was reading, of all things, it was the AAA newsletter, and they were talking about how many rescue workers are killed on the side of the road when people's cars break down or ambulance drivers. But that's why you're always supposed to stop in front of the car you're trying to help. Yes. Never behind it. And stand on the, on the not on the, the, the roadside. And there are rules. I know those rules and I would never break them. Never, exactly. never, Exactly. And you realize that if someone gets lost on a mountaintop and they send in the rescue teams, if there is a fire and people have to fly those helicopters and try to put out the brush fires, there is such a risk to their lives. And this book and the movie, it, it brought up so many philosophical questions because there is this underlying human need to help. But do you risk a greater number of crew members to try to save one. Exactly. It is kind of like that mountaineering situation where if somebody slips and you're belted together, do you cut the rope to try to save your own life and see them fall to their own demise? Um, But even that question, when when it came up in the book and they said, well, how come they haven't notified the crew that he's still alive? And they said, it's going to take them hundreds of days longer just to get back to earth, which is not an easy thing to do. We need to have them stay focused because do you want to be the person to let them know that they left him behind? That hadn't occurred to me, you know. Okay, so I'm going to ask you a question before we wrap up. Book or movie? And you're not allowed to say both. You can't go to your middle of the road O'Toole-isms. Right. I'm going to go with movie. It's so funny. Me too. I love the visuals of it. And I thought that it would greatly enhance the storyline. So we both agree on that. Uh, I think, I think the movie for sure. So the movie did bring out the best lines. I thought it was very true to the book and Matt Damon's delivery of the lines I thought was spot on. So even when we thought he was about to say something much more dire and he's complaining about the iPod of the astronaut left behind where all he has to listen to is seventies disco music. (laughs) And he said, you know, rest assured, I am not going to be turning the beat around. I thought he was fantastic in the the role. (laughs) Love to hear percussion. 
Yeah, great song, great now, song, but not not where you want to be. For did sure, you for notice sure. where it was filmed? Uh, no, of course. Wait, what you mean in the credits? <laughs> did well, I notice? It's funny no, because I as I saw those Martian landscapes, I thought, I wonder where they filmed this. And well, my th- don't count was in the d- desert, perhaps. Yes, it was. Good <laughs> guess. Oh, there. what a Good surprise! There, was it in Arizona, maybe, or New Mexico? No, it could have been, but in fact, it was Jordan. Oh. Oh, yes. good. I'm glad Jordan got some of this business. So good for them. You know, not to spoil any kind of plot. So people can stop listening right here if they expect it to have a sad, tragic ending. But I thought it was an interesting twist at the end that Ridley Scott had the female commander be the one that ultimately brought Matt Damon back into yeah, the... Yeah, Because yeah. in the book, that but wasn't the case, But you just did do right? a major plot. What are you talking about? Of course it spoils the oh! plot. But in the book, it was the male crew member that brought him in. It wasn't... I mean, in the book, the commander was female, but she wasn't the one that ultimately pulled well, him in. Well, you know what? We're, this is called progress. Definitely called progress. So but there you, you know, go. Ridley Scott is the director who brought us Thelma and Louise. Well, there you go. Thelma and Louise. From Thelma and Louise to The Martian. Love it. Do you know another reason why I totally have to applaud Ridley Scott? He gave us a wonderful gift in the world of TV. I can't imagine. (laughs) He brought us Kalinda. Oh, okay. He is one of the executive producers of The Good Wife, and he had worked with her. Oh, here we go back to The Good Wife. Yes, but see, it all comes back to Kalinda. We've gone full circle. He worked with her on his film A Good Year. She was in it. And so he got Kalinda to join the cast of The Good Wife. That is a gift, truly. Okay, well, there you go. as good as the Christmas gift I gave you, Hollister. You know, again, I thank you so much. And were you excited to see Kate Mara? I know you enjoyed her performance on House of Cards. I, I love to see her anytime. So yes, absolutely. And conveniently, Jessica Chastain was still available up in space from her role in Interstellar. Okay. And <laughs> have you noticed that since Sorkin brought him into the newsroom, who is getting a ton of play in many movies and doing an amazing job of rising to each one? Jeff Daniels. I'm not risking their lives. It's bigger than one person. No. So. Yeah, he was great. Didn't you think he was good? That's such a good role for him because he's got so yeah. much gravitas and it's a lot of dialogue to learn. Yeah, there was a lot. Yeah. So thanks again to Lit Lovers. We love being a partner with you. We can't wait to see what we're going to do in January. So hop on over to the movie. All right. Now I wanted to end up uh, and certainly to talk about the fact that my favorite TV show of the year, it's every year. Right after Christmas, I want you to have time to plan your, your, your calendar accordingly. So on December 29th on CBS, you can watch the Kennedy Center Awards annual two-hour special. Oh, who are they honoring this year, Hollister? Okay, Carol, funny you should ask. <laughs> Carol King, Cicely Tyson. Really? Um, yeah, George Lucas, uh, Rita Marino, and James Taylor. Oh, my goodness. Wow, what a yeah. great collection uh, yeah. of stars. And if you haven't... Uh, Stairway to Heaven from the Kennedy Center Awards that was about four years ago is one of the great YouTube videos of all time. It's a show I love to watch every year, and I covet it, and, and I highly I recommend it. I just point out that all those artists are still very active. Cicely Tyson is now in her 90s, and she's on Broadway right now with James Earl she Jones. She is. Yes, she is. She Rita Moreno is. is in her 80s, and she's on Jane the Virgin. Carol exactly. King, her show Beautiful is touring to sold out audiences yeah. across the U. I mean, good for this crop of artists. Uh, I'm sorry, James Taylor already got an award. He's going to be introducing Carol King 
So I highly recommend putting that on your schedule. I hope you'll all watch it for the annual two-hour special. Okay, and then I wanted to end our podcast today with my favorite saying, by the way, is the rearview mirror is smaller than the windshield for a reason. Mm -hmm. It's a saying I use a lot in business, and you've heard me say it a million times, right? Mm -hmm. And in the middle of Star Wars, here comes this great comment. um, The belonging you seek is not behind you. It's ahead of you. And so I thought we could leave you with, as the year ends, the belonging you seek is in next year. It's not in the year behind you. And you know that what next year will bring is the next Star Wars installment. I might be done with Star Wars. I just wanted to leave it there. Okay. So wishing you all a very happy holiday. 